Hey everybody, it's JT. What is on your holiday meal shopping list? Well, I would suggest Painted Hills Natural Beef. It is some of the best beef in the world. And your friends and family will be thanking you for a long time if you serve Painted Hills Natural Beef for your holiday meals. And now you can buy it online just by going to PaintedHillsBeef.com. Use the code BBQNATION at checkout and save yourself 15% on your order. Give Painted Hills Natural Beef a place on your table this holiday season. It's time for Barbecue Nation with JT. So fire up your grill, light the charcoal, and get your smoker cooking. Now, from the Turn It, Don't Burn It studios in Portland, here's JT. Hey everybody, welcome to the Nation, Barbecue Nation here on the Envision Radio Network. I'm JT along with Camaro Dave and Commander Chris coming to you from the Turn It and Don't Burn It studio in downtown Portland. Uh, if you want to have a religious experience with barbecue, I recommend Meat Church. How's that? Uh, Matt Pittman and his wife hail from the great state of Texas. And uh, Matt kind of got involved in barbecue after taking a trip to texas years ago got a taste of the real stuff some brisket down there and all of a sudden he was hooked and we're going to find out all about matt and his story and the meat church in just a couple minutes here we'd like to thank our uh sponsors painted hills natural beef beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends painted hills natural beef from the heart of the pacific northwest um, also, if you'd like to email us, it's BBQ Nation or BBQ, either one, at SalemPDX.com. We'll give you all the rest of the info uh, as far as social media and that throughout the show. Anyway, Matt Pittman, welcome. Thanks for having me. No problem. So uh, I kind of copied my intro right off your website because we've never met and I, and I don't know you, but uh, you come highly recommended. I'll put it that way. So why don't you give us your backstory on, first of all, how you actually uh, kind of got hooked on barbecue. I know you were cooking from kind of a young age, but you weren't exactly from Texas in those days either. Yeah, no, that's right. So um, I was actually born in Tennessee and spent a lot of time growing up uh, really kind of what you call the deep south. So Alabama, Georgia, and, you know, from barbecue perspective, everything's pork. There's a lot of pulled pork, a lot of ribs, it's generally sweet. So that's just, you know, what I knew barbecue was. Um, moved to Texas when I was 13, and I can't say that I, you know, fell in love with, with barbecue at that age necessarily. But at some point, I took a trip, as you said, but uh, down to Lockhart, Texas, kind of considered then the barbecue capital of Texas. And, you know, you learn quickly that Texas barbecue is very different. It's all about beef. There's not a lot of pork at all. And it's it's real simple. It's seasoned with coarse cracked pepper and salt and cooked with post oak. And, I mean, it, it sounds super simple, but I'll never forget the day I took a bite of brisket and kind of tasted that fat. You know, I, I didn't necessarily think I wanted to emulate it at that point, but I was definitely hooked. Um, and I've always been I've always been a guy that grilled, and so I, I quickly became known, like, through college as, like, the, the outdoor cook guy because I loved to cook, with, cook outside, and I was enamored with fire and then this new love of barbecue. And, you know, I was, I was hell-bent on getting out of college in four years and going and having a real job as I was kind of taught by my parents to do, and didn't think that I wanted to go be a chef per se. Um, but anyway, that, you know, the rest is kind of history. So I started dabbling in competition barbecue and, you know, I can tell you the story if you want to hear about where meat church came from, but the love of barbecue was just a, it was just a chance 
trip to Central Texas, have the the barbecue that's way different from anything else in the country, and being like, dang, I want to do that. So when you went back home after that trip, and you sat down with your family and friends, and you said, uh, and somebody put some pulled pork in front of you, or some brisket, you know, Southern style, if you will, in front of you, you went, whoa, wait a minute, this isn't what we do, or this isn't what I just tasted. How was that experience and you explaining it to people? You know, I, I'll never forget that I instantly thought that it, it's funny, like you grow up with something and it becomes like what you know, right? Whether it be religion or whatever, whatever you're taught when you're a kid is like, that's what you do. Uh, it's what you believe in. It's what you know. It's what's comfortable. But funny enough, I instantly thought to myself, pork is easy. And this this beef thing is a lot bigger deal. It's superior. It's and I've, I've learned harder to master. And so I don't know. It was fun. Like I, I tell people today, I appreciate all regions of barbecue. Like we could get on a plane and we could fly to, you know, the Carolinas and have a, a mustard sauce or vinegar sauce. That's like very not what Texas barbecue is about, but right. I would love it and, you know, and love the history. But, you know, going back and being compared to pork, I, I thought there is no comparison like that. And I truly <laughs> think to this day that beef is king. Yeah, it, it kind of is down there. I mean, I don't live in Texas. I have relatives that live there, and I've been there in my adult life probably a hundred times or better in Texas. And um, it's different. In, in fact, it's just different if you go across the state line north of you to Oklahoma or a little east over into Louisiana and that. Yeah, Texas is its own deal when it comes to barbecue. Yeah, you know, it's, it's a huge state, um, as you said, and, and I find that over in East Texas, there's people like a little sweeter. You get to a closer Louisiana, things change a little bit different. But, but by and large, I mean, it's about brisket and beef ribs and, uh, you know, steaks and that sort of thing. Well, it's a big state and they uh, they like to eat good. I know that. Oh, yeah. I mean, the yep. times I've been <laughs> there, we yeah. always ate good. 100%. I mean, you know, I tell people my life centers around food. You think about how much time. You spend you spend around the table or eating and kind of hanging out with other people. I mean, it's it's unbelievable. So it's it's frankly what my life is all about. And is that all you do now? Is the the meat church stuff? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's been a pretty chronicled story lately. I guess people have found interest. But Meat Church is five and a half years old, and it's been a really big, thriving company for a couple of years. And, and by all you know standards, it could have been a full time job for close to four years. But the problem for me is I didn't figure this out in my twenties. I wasn't just working some eight to five job. Um, I left corporate America last year at 43 years old with four kids and two in college was a vice president of an online lender, um, vice president of technology and real estate. So it was, it wasn't just a job per se. I mean, it was like, you know, it was a full blown career sure. company that had gone public 18 months prior and uh, convincing my wife that, I needed to do this full time was I tell people was literally the hardest thing I've ever done in my life um, because she couldn't exactly enunciate like what, what her concern was. And it took me forever, nine months to convince her. And once I finally did, it, it had dawned on me that her concern was, well, why, you've got this amazing career that you wake up and you go to and you make great money. Like why in the world would you ever leave that? She didn't care about what, how good Meat Church was doing and the success and fame we'd gotten out of it. It was like, well, why would you ever leave that given, you know, our situation with our children and, and that sort of thing. But uh, anyway, I, I finally convinced her. I'm a sales guy, <laughs> I guess, at heart. And yeah, so now we're eight months into 
to New Church being my only venture uh, that I'm focusing on. And it's been, I mean, it's, it's awesome. So when we come back in the next segment, we're going to delve in a little more to uh, what Meet Church does and what it's all about. But um, did you get a boost when you were on Pitmasters? Did you get a little kick from that? Well, yeah, but that was actually our birth, really. So prior to that, Meat Church was just a competition team. There was no business. And, you know, the, the whole, you know, I'll tell you, the, I'll tell you the, the quick story real quick. And I've told this a lot of times. But basically, we submitted a tryout video to be on Pitmasters, got picked, and you're given three-week notice uh, to say, hey, can you, can you film and can you do it in Tampa, Florida? So, you know, midway between those three weeks, I was um, at a at a facility in Fort Worth, Texas, buying honey powder, which is an ingredient to one of my rubs. And you can't just go to the grocery store and buy honey powder. Right. So I'm at this, you know, this place buying it. And while the guy was getting my order, I looked down at a book on the counter and I, and I noticed labels that I recognized. And so it, it kind of looked like a brag book. But when he came back, I said, do you make this stuff or something? And he was like, yeah, I'm their co-packer. And I said, what's a co-packer? And he said, well, you give me your recipe. I sign an NDA, and I'll bottle your rub for you. And I was like, huh. I said, well, how much you got to make? He said, 25 pounds. I said, you know, it sounds like a lot. And I kind of left. Called my brother, who's my comp partner, and I told him what I just told you. And he's like, well, do it. So I called the guy back. It had been like 10, 15 minutes. And I said, hey, why don't you make my beef rub and call it Meat Church Holy Cow? And I'll call you back and you know, as soon as I come up with a creative name for my all-purpose rub. And so there was the accidental birth of Meat Church. So took those rubs on the show. And if you take your own stuff, they'll show it on camera. But if you're like using, you know, some store-bought whatever, they'll, right. they'll put black gaff tape over it. So by the time the show aired um, Easter weekend, about four months later, I had launched MeatChurch.com, filed for the trademark, listed the shirt and hat we wore on the show, plus another shirt and hat that didn't make the cut, and our two seasonings. And I say we, we had six orders that day, and five of them were probably friends. And, it, you know, so it didn't just explode. I mean, it was like got a little recognition, got a feather in your hat, and a really, really cool hobby was born. And that hobby dinked around for most of that calendar year. But then around Christmas of that year, it, it really took off due to an ad we had placed. And, you know, every day since then, I've said, when is it, when are sales going to dip? And they just continue to grow right. ever since. Before we uh, take a little break here, I wanted to share something with you. Country Garden, a property developer in China, has revealed that one of its subsidiaries opened a restaurant complex operated completely by robots. Located in Shundi, which is a city in China's Gundong province, the restaurant eliminates most human-to-human contact and may be a harbinger of how businesses plan to handle the aftermath of the coronavirus outbreak. The restaurant complex is about 2,000 square meters or about 21,527 square feet, and has 20 robots equipped to serve a variety of dishes, including Chinese food, fast food, clay pot rice, and hot pot. The menu has about 200 items, and they are available within 20 seconds of ordering. The restaurant can handle about 600 diners at one time. In the past, restaurants that used robots to greet guests and carry orders back to the tables still relied on human chefs. The new restaurant, however, uh, removes humans completely from the food production and preparation stages with robots taking over all of the tasks. To allay customers' fears about dining in a fully automated robot restaurant, the groups have received multiple safety certifications. 
The movement towards robot-controlled restaurants started long before the coronavirus. From robot fry cooks to robot greeters, eateries have been testing eateries have been testing this technology for years. And now, concerns about health and safety while dining out are pushing the tech forward and increasing its acceptance. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back with Mr. Pittman and myself right after this. Everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation here on the uh, Envision Radio Networks. I'm JT, and today we're talking with Matt Pittman from Meat Church. Before we uh, grill Matt a, a little more, pun intended, you can email us at bbq at salempdx.com. That's bbq at salempdx.com. You can also go on SoundCloud and you look up Barbecue Nation with JT. And uh, next week, first of next week, we'll break 100,000 downloads on that. Facebook is the same, Barbecue Nation with JT. And you can check out my uh, Twitter handle at CalCook57. So there you go. There's lots of that. And say hi to all of our affiliates up and down the line um, here on the uh, on our network. So there you go. Matt Pittman from Meat Church. So did your when you first approached your wife with this, did she look at you like you'd lost your mind? I mean, you said it took about nine months to convince her, but did she look at you and like, uh-huh, and get up and walk away? Well, you know, it was a long time coming, so it, it wasn't necessarily a shock, but you know, I tell people looking back, like if you look in years two and three of the business, we didn't know then what we know now, right? You didn't know that it was going to turn into this multi-million dollar business or whatever. So you think about it, you got a wife sitting there who just watches you basically chasing your hobby that you're trying to turn into something. And so it just ends up being like an incredible time suck for your family. And so it wasn't all roses, you know, for, for a lot of time, <laughs> but people had really, people didn't say, when are you going to quit your job? People mostly said, I can't believe you have a job. Because I never, I never talked about it, and I always got asked when we were going to open a restaurant. But isn't it funny that they always ask you if you want to start a restaurant? I mean, that's the first thing people think about. Yeah, especially the nature of what we do. We're a we're a really unique brand. I, you know, I always tell people we're not trying to be anybody else. I'm not modeling myself after anyone, and I don't know many people that my product offering is. I have physical barbecue products that we've got twenty or so barbecue SKUs, uh, and then I've got another probably 60 in shirts and hats and stuff from a lifestyle perspective. But then there's me. I, I travel the world teaching barbecue, curate and host like some of the coolest, smoky, most unique barbecue events. So there's there's nobody really like me. But I go to food wine festivals. I go to big barbecue festivals, have huge lines. And so I think it's just natural. People are like, well, where's your restaurant? And, oh, you don't have it? Well, when are you opening one? And, man, that's just gone on and on and on. Um and then finally, I tell people, why would I open a restaurant? I've created this amazing brand, and, and frankly, I'll just say revenue stream based on our online business and our social media presence. Like, why would I work the crappy hours of a restaurant? And full disclosure, we turned down one of the most amazing restaurant opportunities I'll ever have in my entire life this year. It would have been one; it had to be one of the prettiest 
restaurants uh, from a barbecue perspective in Texas, and and we walked away from it because you know my wife and I thought about it for we vetted it for three months, and I said. I left corporate America to, to be able to devote time to building this brand and, uh, and hanging with a fan and just kind of doing whatever the heck I want to do, not being married to a restaurant because restaurant barbecue is the hardest. I've, you know, respect those guys more than anybody in the world. And they, they work like the craziest hours. Um, and you know, when people walk in the door to a barbecue joint, especially in Texas, your barbecue better be dead on at 11 in the morning, noon, whatever time it is. And you know, I don't, that's, I, I, if I can live without it, why not? Oh, absolutely. Uh, I owned a restaurant once for a very short period of time and then woke up one morning and said, you are insane to do this. And so I sold it um, just because I wanted to do other things. And I had been tired of being tied to something 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And then I turned around and got right back into it. And then I said, nope. Yeah. Okay. So I I hear you on that very much so. Um did your family participate with you in the business? Yeah. So, um, Meat Church is a total family owned business, which is super, super cool. So, um, there's no one on the payroll that is not related to me and that, you know, can come to the challenges. But, uh, we recently opened a retail store in Waxahachie, Texas, and my oldest son actually runs that store. All of our order fulfillment is handled in house. Um, so that's really cool. I mean, I've got people that I trust and are passionate about it and, they've grown with the brand and are very proud of it and, and responsible for a lot of our success. So it's nothing but a family business. So what makes your barbecue different, Matt? Well, I'd say there's a few things, but so I'm going to go back to what I said a minute ago. I'm not trying to be anybody else. So I certainly get inspired by other people, but you know, I'm always thinking what hasn't been done or what's different, what's unique. That's one angle. Uh, but then the other thing is, I'm trying to play to the masses to a degree. So I always say that I'm marketing to myself. So like, what would I do? What would I want? You know, and I'm really looking at like, you, you get guys and, and, and ladies too that that have had small children. Maybe they're home more. They've kind of gotten rid of their hobby because they've got, you know, little kids at home. They want to learn to cook. And this day and age, everybody thinks they're a foodie. They love to say they're a foodie. They love to go try new food. And I think chefs are like the new kind of rock stars and people want to emulate that. So people want to cook. So my approach to barbecue, I'm a perfectionist for sure, but I, um, you know, I start out with what hadn't been done, what would people really love, and then I know everybody in barbecue for one reason or another, and so there's all a lot of secrets in barbecue. People are happy to help jump in and say how they do what they do, and then the things that I do, I really try to perfect. But I've got one secret. I'm not, I'm not judgmental about what people do. Like I, so you know, I have major household name partners. Um, like Traeger and things like that. I make seasoning things. So, but with all that said, I don't jump up and down and say, you got to cook on a Traeger. You got to use, you know, meat church, um, Holy gospel rub. I start out every school saying my way is not the right way. It's just what I do. I don't get to tell you what tastes good to you. I don't get to tell you how to cook it. I don't care if you screw it up or not. Right. You do you, because the point of it is not always in product. It's kind of like, the fun of cooking it, having the people around. I'm not trying to be cheesy, but I say I barbecue to bring people together, make good memories, have a great time. Think about it. You know, you cooking and having people around, having a drink, whatever, that's what it's about. So funny, I don't get invited to backyard barbecues since uh, a church took off because people are afraid to cook for me. And I'm like, listen, you could invite me over for hamburgers and you could cook them to 200 degrees and burn them. And I love them just because we're hanging out, having a good time. So, you know, I'm, real approachable 
just trying to say, you know, I think this is the right way to cook barbecue. Uh, I'm sorry, the way to cook barbecue. Tweak it as you want. Do what you want to do. And I'm I'm very accessible and helpful and positive and doing this for the right reasons. And I just think that I think that's gone a long way with people and why we've grown. Oh, I think that's a good thing. And I know that over the course of my career, I've been invited to a lot of parties and then you get there and you, they want you to cook. So um, that <laughs> that does happen. And you just kind of know it comes with the territory and, you know, bucket up, smile and go do it. But I don't I, I've yep. never I've never really minded that. So it's all it's all good. Uh, oh, by the way, we're going to take a break. How about that? We're running out of time for this segment. Matt and I will be back talking more about Meat Church and uh, Matt Pittman and his career right after this on Barbecue Nation. Hey everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Hey, welcome back to Barbecue Nation. Um, happy you're with us today we're talking with matt pittman from meat church a couple of things real quick if you go to soundcloud uh if you miss the show live then uh, you can see barbecue nation with jt there and also our email is bbq at salempdx.com and we'd like to thank the folks at painted hills natural beef from the heart of the pacific northwest beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends that's painted hills natural beef so the big question is how did you come up with the name meat church yeah, that's a cool story. So there's um, there's a food writer in Dallas that's super funny. Her name's Alice. And on a, on a Sunday morning, she went to a barbecue joint in Dallas called Slow Bone and took a picture of her food and said, I'm, basically, I'm about to sit down and have my hashtag meat church. And it stuck with me. And you know, I took a screenshot of it. And, and I didn't instantly say, oh, I'm going to go use that name. I just thought it was catchy. Filed it away. And so, you know, when we, when we needed to decide on like a real team on a go forward basis or name for our team, uh, and then ultimately turn to a company, I just thought that's kind of cool. It's kind of, kind of edgy. You know, I, I grew up Baptist and was a little worried, but I totally subscribed to, to the thought that you can have one foot over line, just not two. <laughs> I thought it would be memorable and unique, but also going back to what I said earlier, you know, if, if I say a barbecue to bring people together and have a good time, it's kind of the fellowship aspect, me and you talking, hanging out. So I thought, I'll go with the name. And I was a touch nervous, but it's been a ginormous success. I mean, I went to Dallas Airport here and saw a couple of people walking through the airport with my shirt on or see a hat. And I'm like, that's crazy. People want to, you know, buy and be associated with your brand. And um, I don't know what percentage of success that that name has been, but I feel like it's been pretty dang huge. So anyway. Well, uh, I would say so. I like that. And I also remember, now people don't get mad at me for saying this, but there's a lot of jokes about different denominations, but they always said Baptists weren't the, were the ones that wouldn't look at each other in the liquor store on Saturday night, I think, that old <laughs> old joke there. You know? Yeah, that's, that's definitely not true. But early on, I was doing a demo just a few months into the business, and, I, and I'll never forget, a, a, a preacher was walking up to me, and uh, I knew he was a preacher only because someone had told me, and I thought, I kind of swallowed big thinking, man, he, I, I thought for sure he was going to say about the name. And he said, he said, me church on. I said, yes, sir. And he said, that's a church I can get behind. Ah. And so felt better. But I mean, the amount of preachers, pastors, 
beacons, whatever that have come out of the woodworks over five years, emailing me saying, you know, I use this stuff at my, you know, church took out on Sunday or whatever. Like it's it definitely well accepted at this point. Well, I know now since I've done the research on you and I knew who you were for a long time, but we just never talked. I mean, this is only a weekly show. If it was a daily show, you'd have been on a lot sooner, but you know, now every time I turn on and I'm Googling something, meat church comes up. You know, your ear ads on uh, however, whatever system you're using that is. If it's on my news pages, it's it's on everything but my Twitter feed so far. So perfect. I'm I'm perfect. I'll have to work on Twitter. Uh, I'm well familiar with you, my friend. <laughs> at this point, so talk about your process. I mean, this is one of the things when I interview people, they always like to get down kind of into the minutia of things like. Okay, you're you're back in Texas. You're doing heavy on the beef side. Love that. What is your process as far as like trimming out brisket or trimming beef ribs or whatever you want to whatever you want to tell us is fine. But uh, yeah. kind of walk us through that if you would. Yeah. So I've got what I call a really straightforward or maybe even simplistic approach to barbecue. So I always tell people that my mission is to teach you the most simplistic way to make amazing barbecue. So. I'm not trying to out-chef you, you know, give you this fancy plate with this smear on it or give you a three-page recipe because I feel like that turns a lot of people off, and I'm really just trying to relate to the common person. And and I'll show you by the end of one of my lessons or classes or recipes that you too can make awesome barbecue, and it's not that complicated. So, um, you know, I sit down at any piece of meat. I ask myself a question up front like, what is my goal and what I'm wanting this to taste like at the end? And then I kind of make a little map in my head of, out of three steps with a fourth thing I'll add. So the three steps, I, I say at the base level, am I going to inject or brine this piece of meat? Um, secondly, what am I going to, what am I going to season it with? And that's really where you set the big directional course of how that barbecue is going to taste. Um, Cause obviously if you put a sweet rub versus like a, a beefy type rub, it's going to make a big difference. Right. And then at the end, am I going to sauce it? Am I going to glaze it? Am I going to put anything on it at the end, a finishing dust, anything to kind of, add what I call the sprinkles on the cupcake to set it off. So when I, when I approach a meat, so we can say brisket, you know, that's what I'll look at. And then I also ask myself, what am I cooking it on and what sort of wood or pellet goes best with that? Sure. So I kind of keep all that in mind before I get started. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll, I'll kind of talk to you beginning to end and you can ask questions where you want, but but in the beginning, when I take the meat, I say you got to start with amazing ingredients uh, to end up with great barbecue. That doesn't mean you got to buy a Wagyu brisket or anything like that. You know, buy a choice brisket, prime brisket, whatever. And ask yourself, like, what's this for? If it's for the backyard, which we're all backyard guys at the end of the day, we're here to cook for our friends and family, then I don't trim my stuff real aggressively because everything you trim off is something you can't eat, you paid for. Um, so, you know, I kind of season it as much as I'm or trim it as much as I need to trim it to cook it evenly. And then I'm injector brine, maybe on a brisket. I don't do that at home. I only do that competition, even though I sell brisket injection, you know, I think you don't have to do that, that great product at the house. Um, I'll season it uh, on my briskets. I use my meat church, Holy cow, which is one of the most popular beef seasonings in Texas, if not the most popular. Sometimes I'll add a little bit of my Holy gospel across the top of that especially when I'm competing. Um, you know, I cook it 275 degrees. I don't care if you cook it 225, 250, 275, or even hotter. That's just what I cook at. Um, my goal is to try to get my barbecue cooked as quick as I can without uh, sacrificing, you know, tenderness or sure. any of the other factors you're looking for. So 
try to get people in and out as quick as I can. So I, I go a little hotter than others. Um, you know, when I'm cooking brisket, I, I always cook it with post oak. If I'm on a pellet grill, I use oak pellets, uh, Traeger oak pellets. And then uh, I wrap with butcher paper. So a little more than halfway through the cook, when my bark is set nicely, probably 165 degrees internal temperature. In Texas, we wrap with what's known as pink butcher paper. So the important thing, not the color doesn't matter, but it's um, you just want to make sure your butcher paper is not uh, wax. So like if you went to the butcher counter and got a steak and the paper it comes in usually has wax coating on one side, you don't want that. Right. The reason we use paper over foils, it's permeable, so that's where that comes from. And then I cook the brisket until the – I like to squeeze it in between the flattened point with a with a glove on to see if it's squishy, but with an instant rate thermometer, like with a thermopin, in the heart of the flat, you want to feel no resistance, which I find is normally around 202, 203 degrees internal temperature. I pull it off, throw it in a Yeti, let it sit for at least an hour, if not two or three hours, um, then it's time to eat. So pretty straightforward you know i just i take a brisket i put two one or two seasonings on it and and use one tool and paper to wrap in it and makes an amazing texas brisket well it sounds pretty simple and i do like the idea of not over trimming it because you do pay for it now i'm a i'm an old school guy a lot of the stuff when i have to trim a piece i'll you know i throw it back in a bag throw it in the freezer and i turn it into grind later or as people would call it hamburger but um you know Unless it's absolutely gristle or bone, then I don't use that. Yeah. But the other stuff, I tend to, I tend to make my own burger at times, and um, I save it. So there you go. I don't waste That's it. That's the best thing to do. And I've been trying to advocate to people lately. Go buy a, you know, go to your sporting goods store, buy like a grinder, or buy the attachment on your KitchenAid mixer, grind that stuff. I mean, you know, brisket trimmings make the the best burgers ever. So definitely don't just throw that stuff away if you think you can help it. No, don't don't do that. Um, you talked earlier about honey powder. I've been a proponent of honey powder for a long, long time. I discovered it for myself, not anybody else. It wasn't a worldwide discovery. Trust me, that's not what I'm saying. But I discovered it about 20 years ago. Um, and I've, in my own cooking, not that people want to hear about that, but I use it a lot. I've put it in some some rubs and stuff that I've created, but I also use it a little later in the cook and depending on my audience or who's coming over or if I'm cooking for an outside group or something, sometimes I'll put that on there, um, you know, halfway through the cook and, and it, cause it takes a little while to break down and uh, it, it works out really good. I think that's one of the best things for people that, as we call up here, have lily lips, but you use that uh, that honey powder or another thing they call brownulated sugar works really good to, just to put that mild sweetness in there. Yeah, I love it. I kind of you know, tell people it's like a natural sweetness. Um, I, I basically put it in my all-purpose rub to make it a little sweeter, and it's it's an amazing complement on pork. So it's great on pork butt, pork shoulder, ribs, that sort of thing. Also has really pretty color, you know, so it's making like bright red. Um, yep. Yep. Before it turns mahogany barbecue. So I love it. I, yep. In fact, I have it in numerous rubs. I mean, we have we have three, I'm sorry, we have, uh, we have nine barbecue rubs and four of them have honey powder in. So you can tell I'm pretty bought in on it. Yeah, I am too. I, I love this stuff. And it's funny because when, um, uh, don't worry, Mr. Producers, we're going to take a break here in just a second. But <clears throat> people that have never had it on there and then you know they eat it and they say man that was great that was a little bit of sweet and they say what was it and i'll actually go grab one of the pc1 bottles pour a little bit in my hand and say here 
you know, lick your fingers, taste that. They're like, oh, wow. And it's like, yeah. it's very simple. Before we get back talking with Mark Pittman from Meat Church, I wanted to share something with you. Earlier this week, a friend of mine, actually, uh, Charlie Daniels passed away. I had the extreme pleasure of interviewing Charlie uh, five or six times over the years. Did a, some filming with him and um, talked a lot about horses, of course, and country music and all of that. But we also talked about this country and we talked about food. And he was always very charming and polite, very succinct with his answers. And uh, I'm going to miss him. I'm going to miss his, him bringing out new music all the time. Charlie Daniels was 83 years old and uh, he lived a great life. We'll be back in just a couple minutes. Hey everybody, it's JT, and this is a special version of Barbecue Nation. It is brought to you in part by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Welcome back to Barbecue Nation here on the Envision Radio Networks and uh, my home station here at AM860, The Answer in Portland, Oregon. We thank everybody for listening today. Uh, we were talking with Matt Pittman from Meat Church out of Waxahachie. Did I say that right, Matt? You got it. <laughs> I, I kind of cheated. I knew that one. Um, down in Texas, we're going to talk to Matt here in just a bit. But remember, the uh, the KCBS Kansas City Royals coming up here very shortly. So we'll be reporting on that, of course. And we'll be talking to the new CEO of KCBS here uh, in the next couple of weeks. So we've got those things coming up. Um, do you still compete as much as you did, Matt? No, I don't. You know, I... Um, it sounds really cool if I say I only compete in the world championships, but uh, the truth is I just compete in the big ones. So I will be at the Royal. Um, this year I've competed twice. I competed at the Houston Rodeo, which is a world championship. We we finaled in brisket there, um, seventh. And then uh, same thing at Memphis in May, also world championship. We finaled in, in, in uh, ribs there. So rounded out with a Royal and then I'm going to add a fourth, really kind of the largest competition in Texas this year. Um, our IBCA added money event in November just happens to be in my town. And so I can't miss out on that. Oh but, no. Um, there's supposed to be upwards of there's 200 to 300 teams, which is like unheard of in Texas competition. So I'll compete in four big ones this year. Um, I totally miss like the weekend KCBS or IBCA, but I choose our events and things like that over that. So I just don't get to do it like I used to. Well, I understand that. I came from uh, the horse show business years ago and we got so that we only tried to do the larger shows. Um, and then when I became an official and judged, which anyway, that's a long story. I stopped doing the uh, shows like, um, oh, Nacogdoches or something like that. And I was only doing yeah. the regional and the world championships because you can only do so much and so right um you know at one point i was doing 30 shows a year and uh that was a lot so anyway so looking back your wife 
Um, lovely lady. I saw a picture of her with you at uh, standing in front of one of your pits there. Um, what is her opinion now of this whole thing? Well, she, you know, so she's, she's certainly proud of what we've created and, uh, you know, loves the, I guess I would say the flexibility it gives me like, you know, today's, you know, during the week, my kids are at school. I can take them to school. I can pick them up. You know, I, I've always had like an hour commute one way. And so now I'm around. So all of that's awesome. We've, you know, been fortunate enough to take quite a few vacations this year. No, no, nothing like elaborate, like, you know, crazy stuff. But the fact is halfway through the year, I've been able to take the equivalent of four or five weeks off. You would like, I'm working, but you know what I mean? You're not, right. you're not requesting time off from a boss. So she loves that. Um, she's embraced kind of what she calls the crazy. She calls our life a circus. You know, the downside of it is I'm pulled in a lot of directions and I do, I'm, I'm, I'm responsible for everything. I'm, I'm the face and the teacher, but I create our events, curate them, promote them, whatever. And I'm, you know, get a million calls a day with opportunities to travel here, there, do that. And I have to be really mindful of that because everything we've done this year, every, you know, you get an opportunity you'd be like, man, you need to go do that. But my, my youngest are seven and eight and neither one of us believe that, you know, I should take every opportunity to be gone all the time. So, <laughs> um, you know, so it's a balance. So she, you know, at times it can be very trying on her, um, because she is you know, stay at home mom and, and we've got quite the busy family life. So it's, it's definitely a balance, but I know she's, I know she's grateful for what we've created and, you know, just trying to always toe the line of, uh, of growing the business and, and doing good things and being happy, but not being too crazy and not focusing on the family like we all should. Can she be your toughest critic? I say that oh I, I say that affectionately. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been married a long time too, and and when it comes to food on the plate, you know, you put down and like my my wife will always say that was really good, honey, great dinner or whatever. And then other times she'll you, she just kind of pushes it aside and says that's not a very good. So, yeah, I mean, that's why I almost cut you off of that. It's so she is, I mean, to say she's my toughest critic is an understatement of the year. Um, you know, if I cook five family dinners a week, only once or twice, is she going to say something good. So I'm, I'm always having to watch it for her. I mean, and I make it a point to be like, that wasn't very good. Right. Like she jokes, she's like, you've got all these people, you've got all these fanboys coming after you, talking to you, whatever. She's like, I need to keep you grounded. So she's not going to pump my tires up any more than you need to be. Uh, yes, sir. I know that whole drill. I got that down <laughs> perfectly. You know, it's um, they want to see at least one foot on the ground all the time, if not both of them. I'll just put it that way. That's that's dead on. <laughs> well, Matt, I'm going to um, ask you to stick around for the after hours and uh, we'll enjoy that. And um, until then, the folks that don't go listen to after hours, which you should on the on the podcast version of the show. Go to SoundCloud and go to Barbecue Nation with JT, and and you can find the After Hours segment. But until then, uh, we'll be heading out of here. I want to thank Matt Pittman from Meat Church. Tell them how they can find you real quick on the web. Yeah, for sure. So MeatChurch.com, where you can, you can find my store. Um, I think we're most known for our Instagram, so all social media is at MeatChurch, um, where basically my life and mission is just to make you hungry. So check it out. Before we go to break, I thought I'd share a little something with you. A new study in the journal uh, JAMA, the uh, medical journal, uh, found something that's kind of interesting related to your brain function. The study's authors looked at 19,887 participants from the University of Michigan's Health and Retirement Study and found that those who drank a glass or two 
a day had better mental recall abilities. How's that? Kind of stumbled through it there, but it's true. These these participants had their mental functions tested numerous times between 1996 and 2008. And as part of the study, cognitive function was tested by measuring the participants' total recall, mental status, and vocabulary. The ones that drank lightly had better vocabularies and word recall and scored higher on their cognition tests more so than the teetotalers. The study defined low to moderate drinking as under eight drinks a week for a woman and under 15 drinks a week for a man. I don't know where that comes from. Uh, In the United States, a standard drink has about 14 grams of alcohol, and that could be about 12 ounces of regular beer, five ounces of wine, or an ounce and a half of distilled spirits, according to the National Institute of Alcohol uh, on alcoholism and alcohol abuse. Most of the participants were women, 60%, and the vast majority of them, uh, 85% of that were about 61 years of age and higher. A third of them, 35%, said they drank alcohol. And of those that did drink, most of them, 85%, were low to moderate drinkers. The current U.S. drinking guidance is one drink a day for women and two drinks a day for guys. That must have been written by a fraternity house or something. The studies have concluded that moderate drinking has no adverse effects on people's health. Previous research found that moderate drinking can benefit a uh, healthy heart. And this is the first study to find out that modern moderate drinking actually boosts cognitive performance. This has been backed up by studies in 1999, 2005, and 2014. So you can have a couple pops every night, and I guess you'll be all right. Daddy won a radio. He tuned it to a country show. I was rocking in the Barbecue Nation is produced by JTSD LLC Productions in association with Envision Networks and Salem Media Group. All rights reserved.